Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. An example of a story that was told at that live show in January uh, was a story called Burn the Map, and it was told by a psychiatrist, and the story opens, and he's at this conference for psychiatrists, and a lot of the talks are really dry and boring, and he stumbles into this workshop that is all about improv, like improv comedy, um, and how that pertains to healthcare. So he participates in this sort of like goofy and silly improv workshop and he's really shy and self-conscious and he thinks it's kind of stupid and you know all these uh, psychiatrists are like super serious. But they loosen up and they participate. And then he comes back to his hospital and one day he's on the wards with his residents and his students when they get a consult about a young man who uh, recently had an accident and is paralyzed from the waist down and is reporting that he's feeling suicidal. So they've consulted psychiatry, so they get this consult. And this psychiatrist walks to the patient's room with his resident, and he's talking to the resident, trying to teach her, like, you know, how are we going to collect the history? How are we going to examine the mental state of this patient? And the resident has her checklist. You know, it's like all the uh, checklists for depression. So it's like, how are you sleeping? Uh, Are you enjoying things? Very uh, formulaic. And they walk into the room and she starts to go down this checklist and it's not going well. (laughs) Um, The patient isn't really responding, isn't really engaged. And this psychiatrist is standing there in the room and the lessons from the improv workshop start to drift back into his mind. And one of the lessons is use what's in the room. This is a principle of improv. So he looks around the room and he sees this uh, photo taped to the wall of the patient when he was healthy, camping with some friends. And so he turns to the patient. He says, oh, I see that you like camping. And then suddenly it's like a, a switch is flipped. And the patient tells this really long story about a time that he went camping and they got stuck at the top of a mountain and it was snowing and they got lost. And they thought they were going to die at the top of this mountain, but they had a map and they were able to burn the map, but they only had to burn the part of the map that they didn't need. And he tells this story to them and it's very long and dramatic. And then they finish their assessment and they walk out of the room and the psychiatrist turns to the resident and says, wow, he just told us the story of his recovery. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. Now, you know we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related, so I'm really excited about our guest for today because it's going to pivot us a little bit to think a little deeper about you know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and really just get back to our why in healthcare. I mean, many of us have a story as to why we wanted to be a nurse or a doctor or you know just in the healthcare profession. And for most of us, we were inspired by some 
experienced mine. You guys know my story. My story was my dad, right? My dad had a massive heart attack and the way that the care and the things that I saw along the way, some things were really great and like, wow, I would like to be that kind of provider. And then some things just really put a yucky, yucky taste in my mouth. I'm like, no one should ever have to experience this. I want to be the change that I want to see. So today's guest is someone who does just that. She does a lot of work around helping to inspire people um, to make change through storytelling. Her name is Emily Silverman. She is an internal medicine physician at UCSF and the creator and host of The Nocturnist, an acclaimed medical storytelling live show and podcast, which aims to augment clinician well-being and transform medical culture. She's published writings in the New York Times, the Virginia Quarterly Review, JAMA, Chest, and the Examined Life Journal, and is currently working on a book with the support and the fellowship from McDowell. So please welcome to the show, Emily. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you. So glad to have you. First off, if you could tell us a little bit more about, you know, the work that you do as a doctor and, you know, what was your story? What was your why as you, why you entered into healthcare? Such a great question. So I'm a doctor in San Francisco, but I grew up in Miami, Florida, and nobody in my family was a doctor. And yet, since I was like five years old, I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> so I've done a lot of thinking about well, where did that come from? And, you know, why did that come up for me? And I think it had to do with a lot of things. I think the main thing was a really, really deep curiosity about the body and medicine and science and wanting to understand disease and things like that. The helping people part of it actually came later for me. First, it was much more about curiosity and the body and science and things like that. And then I would be lying if I said there wasn't also a bit of achievement-itis okay. <laughs> involved in my decision-making. I was definitely uh, somebody who pushed myself really hard to like get good grades and you know to go to med school felt a little bit like a, like a hoop to jump through. And so I, I wanted to jump through that hoop. And so I don't think that's uh, the best reason to go to medical school, but that was definitely a part of it as well. And that's a part of myself that I have been slowly working on and unlearning. But that's uh, how I arrived in healthcare. Maybe I'll just add that along that journey with my interest in the body and science, I always was interested in the arts. And I always felt really divided. There was this like science side of myself, and then there was this art side of myself. And if you go back and read my medical school admission essay and even my residency admission essay, it's all about how I'm going to combine those two sides of myself, art and science, and you know, contribute to the world through the fusion of these two sides. It took a while for me to figure out what that meant and how to do that. But there was definitely a brief period where I thought maybe I would not become a doctor and go into the arts. I actually did an internship at an art gallery in New York one summer when I was in college, and I majored in history of art. But in the end, I did come around and decide to go to medical school. So that was my journey. Well, I love hearing that. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being a high achiever. Many of the people who are listening are <laughs> high achievers as well. I mean, and at the end of the day, they'll, you know when you introduce yourself as a doctor or a nurse or someone else in the profession, they don't generally ask, what was your GPA in school? You know, the fact that you still, you know, went through school, got your license, board certified and all those things. So I think we all have a little bit of that. So, but it's interesting how you wanted to blend the science and the arts. 
And, and I'll say this as a physician, or well, I'm not a physician, you're a physician, however, but in nursing, we always talk about the art and science of nursing, you know, the science and evidence base and all the, those type of things, but then the art, the caring, the, the other element that really complements things because, you know, we can have the best medicine, the best um, interventions and all of those things, but the art, the presentation, the communication, the human connection that happens through the words that we say and how we present things really make a difference whether someone, you know, receives that plan of care and wants to participate or whether they're just kind of like, no, they don't want to do it. So I love hearing that you wanted to include that. So, and although I'll say this, you can also still exercise your art as a, a, as a physician. I'd love to see what that looks like. I mean, and many of us in, in current state, current uh, state, especially with COVID have been looking for that art or that outlet to kind of decompress from all of the stressful things we've been going through from the pandemic this last two, three years. You, you know, looking at that, the art and the science, does that have anything to do with how you came to develop your, your podcast, The Nocturnist? Tell us a little bit about how that came to be as well. So I moved across the country to California to start my medical residency in 2014. And I had just finished medical school. And up until that point, I was pretty happy, pretty healthy. Medical school, you know, it was hard, but I got through it in one piece and I felt good. And I was about halfway through my residency in California when I really hit a wall. And I think what I realized was that medicine wasn't what I thought it would be. I was spending probably half my day, maybe even more, sitting in front of a computer typing. That was not something that I expected when I was a five-year-old kid running around saying that I wanted to be a doctor. And yeah, just spent a lot of time trying to untangle logistical knots for patients and like really actually not at the bedside, like engaging with them and getting to know them and their families, teaching them about their diseases and also having them teach me about their diseases. So it just felt to me like the profession had gone off in this weird direction. And in retrospect, that intuition was correct because now whenever I talk to people who have been in medicine for 10 years, 20 years, they all say the same thing, which is that it's not fun anymore. It used to be so fun, so rich, so rewarding. And these days with the bloat of like administrators and business and third party payers and cost issues and prior auths and the electronic health record and the drudgery of like entering that data that the profession just is not what it was. It's undergone really, really rapid changes in the last decade or so. And so I think that's what I was feeling when I was a medical resident. Um, and part of that was that the humanity I felt was being stripped away and it was becoming a grind. And I wanted to create a place where we could talk about that where we could nurture the sides of ourselves that are more inclined to storytelling and the arts and human relationships and talk about like what it is to be a healthcare worker. Talk about what it is to be a healthcare worker in modern times. So the show started in January of 2016. I was able to get about 40 of my friends and colleagues to come and sit in this like big living room together. It was this space that I rented in the city of San Francisco where I live. And I got uh, about eight people to stand up one by one and tell a story related to a theme. 
And I think the first theme was promises. And there was no preparation, no coaching, nothing like that. But it was still a really magical night. We were not in the hospital. We were not in a fluorescently lit conference room. Like we were in this beautiful space with awesome furniture and art hanging on the walls. And um, people cried during these stories. And they came up to me at the end and they were like, wow, I thought it was just me. I guess I'm not alone. You know, these stories really helped me realize that the feelings that I have about my job are more common than I thought. And so it was this sort of community building, culture building activity. And then this question came up of when is the next one? When is the next one? And so we started to, and when I say we, um, I quickly partnered with another physician, Ali Block, and then we built a small team around us, mostly volunteers in the beginning. And we would plan these events to take place in San Francisco in a small theater of 80 seats and then 150 seats and then 250 seats and then 350 seats. And then right before the pandemic in January 2020, we had a sold out show of over 700 seats at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. And the theme for that event was Transitions. And by then, we had a whole coaching process where we would pair the storytellers with a coach who would get them ready for the big day. But just imagine walking into this gorgeous theater and looking around, and you see nurses, doctors, physical therapists, hospital chaplains, medical students, like kind of this whole community. And it wasn't just UCSF, which was where I worked. It was Stanford, Kaiser, people working in Marin, people you know working in private practice, like just anyone in the healthcare community in the Bay Area who would come to sit together in this room and bear witness to these stories. And so I think the way that that grew over those years is a testament to the hunger in the healthcare community to be engaging with ourselves and with our work through this fresh lens. That sounds amazing. I wish you guys would have gotten here down here to Los Angeles, but kind of just walk us through like, so I, I would come to this event and then would I just hear some of my colleagues just on the stage, just telling their experience about, you know, how they've hit a wall, how it's made them feel and, you know, what's next. I mean, can you give us an example of one of the stories that was shared? Definitely. So I think one thing I had to learn along the way is what is a story? So standing up on stage and getting up on a soapbox and talking about like your views on a topic or an issue from like a theoretical perspective is not a story. Getting up there and talking in general terms about your experience and your burnout is also not really a story. A story is action over time. So a story is, was a dark and stormy night when I rolled over in bed and turned on my iPhone and saw that I had a text from my boss, you know, you just hear that sentence and you're already leaning in, right? You're like, oh, what happened? (laughs) So that is a story. So it's a series of events that occurs over time, usually with a status quo, an inciting incident, which sets the story into motion. So in that case, it would be the text and then rising conflict a climax, and then coming down and some kind of resolution. So stories actually have a shape. Some people describe it as like a pyramid. Other people describe it as a circle. And of course, this is just the conventional story structure. There's all sorts of unconventional ways to tell stories as well. So I had to learn 
a bit about story theory so that I could appropriately recruit and train up these storytellers for the stage. An example of a story that was told at that live show in January uh, was a story called Burn the Map, and it was told by a psychiatrist. And the story opens, and he's at this conference for psychiatrists. And a lot of the talks are really dry and boring, and he stumbles into this workshop that is all about improv, like improv comedy, um, and how that pertains to healthcare. So he participates in this sort of like goofy and silly improv workshop and he's really shy and self-conscious and he thinks it's kind of stupid and you know all these uh, psychiatrists are like super serious. But they loosen up and they participate. And then he comes back to his hospital and one day he's on the wards with his residents and his students when they get a consult about a young man who uh, recently had an accident and is paralyzed from the waist down and is reporting that he's feeling suicidal. So they've consulted psychiatry, so they get this consult. And this psychiatrist walks to the patient's room with his resident, and he's talking to the resident, trying to teach her, like, you know, how are we going to collect the history? How are we going to examine the mental state of this patient? And the resident has her checklist. You know, it's like all the uh, checklists for depression. So it's like, how are you sleeping? Uh, are you enjoying things? Very uh, formulaic. And they walk into the room and she starts to go down this checklist and it's not going well. <laughs> um, the patient isn't really responding, isn't really engaged. And this psychiatrist is standing there in the room and the lessons from the improv workshop start to drift back into his mind. And one of the lessons is use what's in the room. This is a principle of improv. So he looks around the room and he sees this uh, photo taped to the wall of the patient when he was healthy, camping with some friends. And so he turns to the patient. He says, oh, I see that you like camping. And then suddenly it's like a, a switch is flipped. And the patient tells this really long story about a time that he went camping and they got stuck at the top of a mountain and it was snowing and they got lost. And they thought they were going to die at the top of this mountain, but they had a map and they were able to burn the map, but they only had to burn the part of the map that they didn't need. And he tells this story to them and it's very long and dramatic. And then they finish their assessment and they walk out of the room and the psychiatrist turns to the resident and says, wow, he just told us the story of his recovery. And Ooh. it becomes this metaphor where the burning of the map represents like, how do we think about the maps of our lives and when parts of parts of our lives burn up, so to speak, like how do we navigate our way down the mountain? And so anyway, that's a very long <laughs> summary yeah. and he tells it way better than I just did. But that's the example of the type of story you might hear on stage at the Nocturnus. Oh, wow. That sounds really amazing. Now, I'm just curious, how did the intern respond to like, you know, when when he said the, the patient just told us that, uh, about his recovery did the intern get it or were they because it sounds like you know with any novice we, we're, we're unsure of what to do we haven't had life experience we're new to the work that we're doing we we hold on to dear life to these checklists structure something to tell us what to do because we don't necessarily know how to navigate ourselves so was the lesson learned by that intern to kind of relax a little bit and to you know adopt some of you know some of the more unconventional ways, I guess, of how you talk and handle and, you know, work with people? You know, that's such a great question. And part of what I love about the Nocturnist podcast 
is what we do is we take these stories from the stage and record them. So we'll play the story. So you hear the story, you hear the audience clapping. It's like you're there. And then afterward, I sit down in the studio just like this uh, with the storyteller and we unpack some of the themes and some of the questions that came up. And so after the story was told, the psychiatrist and I uh, were chatting and I was asking him about this. And um, it sounds like both he and the resident had not an epiphany because that might be too extreme a word, but their mind was opened a little bit Mm. to the way that medical education changes your brain. And part of that is good. Like you want to be able to think in an organized, logical way. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that can go overboard and your thinking is too rigid and you forget how to get into your body, how to tap into your intuition and how to tap into your spontaneity and how to use that in an interaction with a patient or even with another colleague to make progress and uh, build, you know, a therapeutic bond and so on and so forth. So in the conversation on the podcast that followed, he and I talk a lot about like the pros and cons of the checklist. Like how does Mm -hmm. it serve us and how does it hinder us? And I think in medical education in general, we're definitely tilted, I think, too far toward the rigid, logical, linear, rational checklist approach because we want to make sure we get everything done. Even if you think about Epic, I mean, or whatever electronic healthcare record, and I'm sure nurses have the same thing, like the way that you sign your notes, you have to just do checklists. And that changes your brain. It changes the way you think. Then you start to think in checklists. (laughs) So yeah, I think there's a lot of conversations that come out of these stories that are really important for examining medical culture and medical practice. You said that so well. It does change your 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 thought process. It's like one, step one, step two, step three, as if you can't, you know, well, maybe step, you know, let's three, but let's approach it a little differently. Let's do it like this. And, you know, really to meet, you know, the, the patient's needs and to insert some of that humanity back in there, that spontaneity. So let me ask this, Emily, how do you not lose it? If we we know that the work that we do is driven in this fashion, like, and it's happening, you know, for those of us, or for those of you who've told the story, like they can see like, oh, this is how medicine has changed me. It's caused me to be, you know, less creative, less uh, spontaneous and those type of things. How, How do we take that lesson and insert it to the people who are entering into the profession so they don't find themselves in that same trap and they can retain these things and don't lose them. There's individual factors and there's system factors. So zooming out for a minute, the reality is we are practicing healthcare in a broken system Mm -hmm. where we are rushed, we are attached to the computer, We are navigating all of this administrative nonsense, and it really makes it difficult to center that doctor-patient relationship and to create space for that kind of spontaneity to come out. So for example, if you're a primary care doctor or nurse practitioner and you have a busy clinic and nobody's given you time built into your day for your charting. So you know that every minute you fall behind, you're just going to be sitting at your computer in the office till six or seven, or maybe even in bed at nine, finishing your notes. 
So as soon as the day starts, you have this clock ticking in your mind and you're like, I got to stay on time. I got to finish on time. How is spontaneity going to flourish in that context? It really can't. And so, you know, we can do the best we can. We can listen to these stories. We can feel into our energy level on a particular day. And if we have a little bit more energy, maybe we can open that door to patients. But the reality is we can't open that door to every patient because then we would never get home because of the system that we have constructed. (laughs) So I think as individuals, you know, we can do our best to bring more humanism into every patient encounter. But the reality is that the system we're operating in doesn't lend itself to that kind of practice. And so I think as clinicians and practitioners, what we need to do is start speaking up about like, I need X amount of minutes for every patient or Let's talk about nursing to patient ratios. Like I don't have enough time to dedicate to my patient. This staffing model is not safe, you know, things like that. And we saw more of that than ever during COVID um, as the hospitals and clinics were just crushed and there was no flexibility or redundancy built in that system whatsoever. So yeah, I think on an individual level, do your best. And then on a structural level, like we have to speak up and talk about rearranging medicine and realigning incentives so that actual healing can occur. Because if we don't speak up, nobody will. Right. I think that's so important. And even as we progress into our professions, perhaps some of us may find us in the position to create those uh, changes in the workflow. I mean, that would be ideal. Um, Someone like you, Emily, if you could design the workflow for the office, uh, that would be great. I'm pretty sure you would make sure that that'd be worked in. Although we're advocates for patients, sometimes it's really hard to advocate for ourselves because, you know, we're, we're told that it has to be done, just has to be done. And it's like, we're making lemonade, but gosh, at some point that lemon just isn't going to be able to make any more juice. It's just not. So I actually like hearing about this. And although I don't know, I don't know that I would necessarily be the best storyteller because the way you described it, I'm like, oh, wow, that because I really did lean in the way you described, you know, just that couple first sentence, you, you said it so well. But, you know, I definitely have some experiences and things that I would like to share. So with Nocturnus, like, are you creating these events again? So now that we're kind of on the other end, hopefully knock on some wood of the pandemic and things are getting better. Will you be hosting more events? Will these get to be beyond San Francisco for those of us who don't live there? And what if someone wants, has a story inside that they want to share um, and be a part of this? How can they connect with you or how can they become a part of this? Yes. So before the pandemic, most of our live shows were in San Francisco. So if you were a healthcare worker in the Bay Area, doctor, nurse, uh, physical therapist, hospital chaplain, medical student, you know, whatever, you could submit your story to be told at one of these live shows. When COVID hit, we couldn't do any live shows. So we really leaned into the podcast. And in a way, that was actually very unlocking of creativity for us because suddenly we were creating these awesome podcasts where we would put out a call for stories and anyone around the country or I guess even the world could submit their voice and submit their story. So we have a stories from a pandemic audio documentary where people sent in audio diaries of their experience with the pandemic. 
we had a series called Black Voices in Healthcare that we did the summer of George Floyd that was hosted by my friend and colleague, Ashley McMullen, where anybody around the country who identifies as Black could submit their voice. And then right now, we're working on a series called Shame in Medicine, all about like shame experiences in healthcare. So shame around learning, shame around error, shame around you know, body type, for example, um, things like that. So if you're interested in submitting your voice and you're not in the Bay Area, I would encourage you to check out our website and look at those projects, especially the shame one, because that one is still open and submit your story idea. If you are in the Bay Area or you can be in the Bay Area or would like to be in the Bay Area or travel to the Bay Area, uh, we have just announced our call for stories for our first live experience since before the pandemic. So we have not gathered in a room for two years plus, and we are hoping to do that in June of 2022 in San Francisco. The exact date and the exact venue are still TBD. But the theme that we have selected for that show is Together Again. And so we want stories about separations, rifts, reunifications, gatherings, connections. You could be a doctor, a nurse, you know, as I said, any type of healthcare worker um, who's going to be in the Bay Area in June. And uh, we have a website. So if you go to thenocturnists.com, the nocturnist is plural, and you hit participate, you'll see the whole thing together again, submit your story. The deadline is April 3rd, I believe. And uh, that's flexible. So if you need an extension, just let us know. And if your story idea is selected, we will pair you with a story coach. Um, and so I heard you say something earlier about like, oh, I'm not a storyteller and so on and so forth. I think one of the things that makes our show so beautiful is that our performers are not professional actors, professional performers, like they are real healthcare workers who may not have a ton of public speaking experience, um, but who have real stories and real experience that they want to share with their community. Um, and so actually the performances that are a little rough around the edges are like extra good in a way because it just shows that authenticity. And we do have this uh, support in the form of the story coach. So people are offered up to 10 hours of free coaching support in the weeks leading up to the show. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, they will help you with shaping the arc of your story and practice performing it and things like that to get you ready for show day. So, yeah, I, I really encourage people to look into those projects and submit your voice because uh, it's a gift. And I had one woman, I went to give a talk at Kaiser Permanente, and this woman came up to me at the end. I think she was an anesthesiologist. And she said, oh, I have this great story idea. I think about it all the time. It's a story that lives inside me that I've been wanting to tell for so long, but I would never submit it to your show. And I said, well, why not? And she was like, well, I just feel like what if people think I'm a narcissist? Like, why would anyone want to hear my story? Like, it seems selfish and blah, blah, blah. And you know, I, I think that's really common in doctors and nurses because yeah. we have such an altruistic impulse, like, oh, it's not about me, it's about the patient. Yeah. But really to remind people that, you know, lifting your voice is really important for advocacy, first of all. But second of all, it's a gift. It's a gift to your community, it's a gift to yourself, and it it inspires 
connection and it builds culture and so on and so forth. So I was trying to encourage her to reframe it, not as like a narcissistic act, but as a gift um, and as an act of generosity. And so I don't know if that worked. I don't know if she'll end up submitting, but those are just some thoughts. Hopefully. You're right. Usually we think it's all about the patient. We're the unsung heroes. We don't want any credit. You know, we just want everyone to be okay. And, you know, we're on to the caring for the next person. But I think telling these stories are very important. And I have to believe that they're also probably very therapeutic to actually be able to share what has been weighing on your shoulders, on your heart for so long, to be able to share this and then probably also see other people connect and understand like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who's felt this or experienced something like this. And it can definitely create a community and help us, you know, to feel, feel better about ourselves in that, you know, I'm not weird. I'm not strange. I'm not, you know, these things that we tell ourselves because, you know, we look around and everyone's smiling and being productive, but, you know, we're not being spontaneous. We're not really connecting with patients. We're just checking off a checklist, getting things done, but where's the true connection? So you, so you don't get lost into why you first became a nurse or a doctor or a therapist to begin with. Cause I know I've definitely had days where I'm like, I don't even know if this is for me anymore. So for those of you guys who are listening, you definitely need to check out the Nocturnist. I mean, this sounds amazing. And Emily, let me just, just throw a little suggestion out there. Would it be possible to stream? If you can't make it to the Bay Area in June, maybe maybe Emily will consider streaming the show for us, guys, for those of us who can't physically get there. Just, just a suggestion. Just on my wish list. Put it out there. <laughs> yes. I love that suggestion. That's definitely something that we'll consider. Okay, wonderful. So Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, this was really a good topic to talk about because I think many of us have our caring stories and every day there's a new story, you know, it's weighing very heavy on us and we're looking for outlets. We're looking for ways to, you know, listen and connect with other colleagues who might be experiencing the same thing. And we definitely want to get back to our why, get back to that human connection because some of us feel lost. We feel lost in our journey. So thank you so much. If you can, just one more time, remind people uh, where they can go and how they can connect with you and the Nocturnist, please. Yes, definitely. So my website is just my name, emilysilverman.com. Uh, so you can reach out to me there. And then the website for the show is thenocturnists.com. So that's the nocturnists plural. Dot com. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know, a nocturnist is somebody who practices medicine at night, which is kind of a metaphor because our live shows happen in the evening and it's like darkness and you know moon energy, uncovering secrets, uh, that sort of thing. So that's why we call the nocturnists. You can visit us at thenocturnist.com. Yeah, I would love for you to send in your story. Oh, very well. That's great. We're, we're actually, we'll put a call out to, you know, on nurse.org and invite um, nurses and those who follow nurse.org to make, submit their stories. Guys, this has been Emily Silliman. Yep. The show is called The Nocturnist. Make sure to check it out. I thank you. Nurse.org thanks you. Um, and guys, this has been a great episode. So make sure to share this with a friend, a colleague, a classmate. Sharing is definitely caring. And then if you want to hear more about Emily and The Nocturnist, again, follow them. And then Check out nurse.org. We're going to post an article. We'll, we'll share the information, how you can connect with them. And guys, just thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. You guys tune in every week and I love it. I'm Nurse Alice. It's always my pleasure. Make sure to 
check out the podcast, leave your ratings, reviews, your comments. Definitely want to hear from you. You can also email me at nursealice at nurse.org. If you have any questions or comments about this show or any other shows, or maybe you want to be on a show, love to hear from you. So guys, until next time, again, please make good choices, be kind to one another and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.